Okay, so we're going to finish the story of the amulet tonight. Are you guys excited for the end of the story? Yeah. Yeah. Chapter 14, The Heart's Desire. If I only had time, I could tell you lots of things. For instance, how in spite of the advice of the Samia, the four children did, one very wet day, go through their amulet arch into the golden desert and there find the great temple of Baalbek and meet with the phoenix, whom they never thought to see again, and how the phoenix did not remember them at all until it went into a sort of prophetic trance, if that can be called remembering. But alas, I haven't time, so I must leave all that out, though it was wonderfully thrilling. I must leave out, too, all about the visit of the children to the hippodrome with the Samiad and its traveling bag and about how the wishes of the people, surprisingly, at that, that it and about how the wishes of the people around them, about them, were granted so suddenly and surprisingly that at last the Samiad had to be taken hurriedly home by Anthea, who consequently missed half the performance. Then there was the time when Nurse, having gone to tea with a friend out Ivalunkwe, they were playing Devil in the Dark, and in the midst of that most creepy pastime, the postman's knock frightened Jane nearly out of her life. She took in the letters, however, and put them in the back of the hatstand drawer so that they should be safe. And safe they were, for she never thought of them again for weeks and weeks. One really good thing happened when they took the Samian to a magic lantern show and a lecture at the boys' school in Camden Town. The lecture was all about our soldiers in South Africa, and the lecturer ended up by saying... And I hope every boy in this room has in his heart the seeds of courage and heroism and self-sacrifice. And I wish that every one of you may grow up to be noble and brave and unselfish, worthy citizens of this great empire for whom our soldiers have freely given their lives. And of course this came true, which was a distinct score, which was a di distinct score for Camden Town. As Anthea said, it was unlucky that the lecturer said boys because now she and Jane would have to be noble and unselfish, if at all, without any outside help. But Jane said, I dare say we are all ready because of our beautiful natures. It's only boys that have to be made brave by magic, which nearly led to a first-class row. And I dare say you would like to know all about the affair of the fishing rod and the fish hooks and the cook next door which was amusing from some points of view, though not perhaps the cooks. But there really is no time even for that. The only thing that there's time to tell about is the adventure of Masculine and, the co and cooks and the unexpected apparition, which is also the beginning of the end. It was Nurse who broke into the gloomy music of the autumn rain on the window panes by suggesting a visit to the Egyptian Hall, England's home of mystery though they had good but private reasons to know that their own particular personal mystery was of a very different brand. The four all brightened up at the idea. All children, as well as a good many grown-ups, love conjuring. It's in Piccadilly, said old nurse, carefully counting the proper number of shillings in Cyril's hand. Not so very far on the left from the circus, 
There's big pillars outside, something like Carter's Seed Place in Holborn, as used to be Day and Martin's Blacking when it was at Gale, and something like Euston Station, only not so big. Yes, I know, said everybody. Kevin, put it down. So they started. But though they walked along the left-hand side of Piccadilly, they saw no pillared building that was at all like Carter's Seed Warehouse or Euston Station, or England's home of mystery, as they remembered it. At last, they stopped a hurried lady and asked her the way to Masculine and Cook's. I don't know, I'm sure, she said, pushing past them. I always shop at the stores. Which just shows, as Jane said, how ignorant grown-up people are. It was a policeman who at last explained to them that England's mysteries are now appropriately enough enacted at St. George's Hall. So they tramped to Langham Place and missed the first two items in the program, but they were time for the most wonderful magic appearances and disappearances, which they could hardly believe, even with all their knowledge of larger magic. It was not really magic after all. If only the Babylonians could have seen this conjurer, whispered Cyril. It takes the shine out of their old conjurer, doesn't it? Hush, said Anthea, and several other members of the audience. Now there was a vacant seat next to Robert, and it was when all eyes were fixed on the stage where Mr. Devant was pouring out glasses of all sorts of different things to drink out of one kettle with one spout. And very interesting, said Cyril. That'll be a jolly sight more interesting if you keep following us about in a decent country with no more clothes than on than that. Peace, said the priest. What is this country? And what is this time? This country's England, said Anthea, and the time's about 6,000 years later than your time. The amulet, then, said the priest, deeply thoughtful, gives the power to move to and fro in time as well as in space. That's about it, said Cyril gruffly. Look here, it'll be tea time directly. What do we want to do with you? You have one half the amulet, and I the other, said Rekmara. All that is now needed is the pin to join them. Don't you think, said Robert, that the half you've got is the same half as the one we've got? But the same thing cannot be in the same place and at the same time, and yet be not one, but twain. <sighs> said the priest. See, here is my half. He laid it on the Mercella counterpane. Where is yours? Jane, watching the eyes of the others, unfastened the string of the amulet and laid it on the bed, but too far off for the priest to seize it, even if he had been so dishonorable. Cyril and Robert stood ready beside him, ready to spring on him if one of his hands moved, but ever so little towards the magic treasure that was theirs. But his hands did not move, only his eyes opened very wide. And so did everyone else's, for the amulet the priest had now quivered and shook and then as steel is drawn to magnet, it was drawn across the white counterpane, nearer and nearer to the amulet, warm from the neck of Jane. And then as one drop of water mingles with another on a rain-wrinkled window pane, as one bead of quicksilver is drawn into another bead, Rekmara's amulet swept, slipped into the other one, and behold, there was no more but the one amulet. Black magic, cried Rekmara and sprang forward to snatch the amulet that swallowed his, but Anthea caught it up, and at the same moment the priest was jerked back by a rope thrown over his head. It drew, tightened with a pole of his forward leap, and bound his elbows to his sides, 
before he had time to use his strength to free himself. Robert had knotted the cord behind him and tied it to the bedpost. The four children, overcome the priest's wrigglings and kickings, tied his legs with more rope. I thought, said Robert, breathing hard and drawing the last knot tight, that he'd have a try for hours, so I got the ropes out of the box room so as to be ready. The girls, with rather white faces, applauded his foresight. Loosen the bonds, cried Rekmar in fury, before I blast you with the seven secret curses of Amun-Ra. We shouldn't be likely to, loo to loose them after, Robert retorted. Oh, don't quarrel, said Anthea desperately. Look here. He has just as much, as much right to the thing as we have. This, she took up the amulet that had swallowed the other one. This has got his in it as well as being ours. Let's go shares. Let me go, cried the priest, writhing. Now look here, said Robert. If you make a row, we can just open that window and call the police. The guards, you know, and tell them you've been trying to rob us. Now, will you shut up and listen to reason? I suppose so, said Breckmeyer, sulkily. But reason could not be spoken to him till a whispered council had been held in the far corner by the washed hand stand and the trial horse, a council rather long and very earnest. At last, Anthea detached herself from the group and went back to the priest. Look here, she said, in her kind little voice. We want to be friends. We want to help you. Let's make a treaty. Let's join together to get the amulet, the whole one, I mean. And then it shall belong to you as much as to us, and we shall all get our heart's desire. Fair words, said the priest, grow no onions. We say butter no parsnips, Jane put in. But don't you see we want to be fair, only we want to bind you in the chains of honor and upright dealing. Will you dear fairly with us, said Robert. I will, said the priest. By the sacred secret name that is written under the altar of Amun-Ra, I will dear deal fairly with by you. Will you too take the oath of the honorable partnership? No, said Anthea on the instant, and added rather rashly, we don't swear in England, except in police courts where the guards are, you, said, you know, and you don't want us to go there. But when we say we'll do a thing, it's the same as an oath to us. We do it. You trust us, and we will trust you. She began to unbind his legs, and the boys hastened to untie his arms. When he was free, he stood up, stretched his arms, and laughed. Now, he said, I am stronger than you, and my oath is void. I have sworn by nothing, and my oath is nothing likewise, for there is no secret, sacred name under the altar of Amun-Ra. Oh, yes, there is, said a voice from under the bed. Everyone started. Rekmara, most of all. Cyril stooped and pulled out the bath of sand where the Sani had slept. You don't know everything, though you are a divine father of the temple of Amun, said the Samiad, shaking itself till its sand felt tinkling on the bath edge. There is a secret, sacred name, beneath the altar of Amun-Ra. Shall I call on that name? No, no, cried the priest in terror. No, said Jane, too. Don't let's have any calling names. Besides, said Amun-Ra, said Rekamara, who had turned very white indeed under his natural brownness, I was only going to say that, though there isn't any name under, 
There is, said the Samian threateningly. Well, even if there wasn't, I will be bound by the wordless oath of your strangely upright land. And having said that, I will be your friend. I will be it. Then that's all right, said the Samian. And there's the tea bell. What are you going to do with your distinguished partner? You can't go down to tea like that, you know. You see, we can't do anything until the 3rd of December, said Anthea. That's when we are to find the whole charm. What can we do with Rhett Mara for then? Box room, said Cyril briefly. And smuggle up his meals. It'll be rather fun. Like a fleeing cavalier concealed from exasperated Rhett roundhounds, said Robert. Yes. So Rekmara was taken up to the box room and made as comfortable as possible in a snug nook between an old nursery fender and the wreck of a big four-poster bed. They gave him a big rag bag to sit on and an old moth-eaten fur coat off the nail on the door to keep him warm. And when they had had their own tea, they took him some. He did not like the tea at all, but he liked the bread and butter, the cake that went with it. They took it in turns to sit with him during the evening and left him fairly happy and quite settled for the night. But when they went up in the morning with a kipper, a quarter of which each of them had gone without at breakfast, Rekmara was gone. There was the cozy corner with the rag bag and the moth-eaten fur coat, but the cozy corner was empty. Good riddance was naturally the first delightful thought in each mind. The second was less pleasing, because everyone at once remembered that since his amulet had been swallowed up by theirs, which hung once more round the neck of Jane, he could have no possible means of returning to his Egyptian past. Therefore, he must still be in England, and probably somewhere quite near them, plotting mischief. The attic was searched to prevent mistakes, but quite vainly. The best thing we can do, said Cyril, is to go through the half-amulet straight away, get the whole amulet, and come back. I don't know, said Anthea, hesitating. Would that be quite fair? Perhaps... He isn't really a base deceiver. Perhaps something's happened to him. Happened, said Cyril. Not it. Besides, what could happen? I don't know, said Anthea. Perhaps burglars came in the night and accidentally killed him and took away the, all that was mortal of him, you know, to avoid discovery. Or perhaps, said Cyril, they hid the, the all that was mortal in one of those big trunks in the box room. Shall we go back and look? He added grimly. No, no, Jane shuddered. Let's go and tell the Samuel and see what it says. No, said Anthea. Let's ask the learned gentleman. If anything has happened to Rekmara, the gentleman's advice would be more useful than the Samuel's. And the learned gentleman will only think it's a dream, like he always does. They tapped at the door, and on the come in, they entered. The learned gentleman was sitting in front of his untasted breakfast. Opposite him, in the easy chair, sat Rekmara. Hush! said the learned gentleman very earnestly. Please hush, or the dream will go. I am learning, oh, what I have not learned in the last hour. In the gray dawn, said the priest, I left my hiding place, and finding myself among these treasures from my own country, I remained. I feel more at home here somehow. Of course, I know it's a dream, said the learned gentleman feverishly. But, oh, ye gods, what a dream, by Jove. Call not upon the gods, said the priest, lest ye raise greater ones than you can control. Already, he explained to the children, he and I are as brothers, and his welfare is dear to me as my own. He has told me, the learned gentleman began, but Robert interrupted. This was no moment for manners. 
Have you told him, he asked the priest, all about the amulet? No, said Rickmar. Then tell him now, he is very learned. Perhaps he can tell us what to do. Rekmara hesitated, and then told. And oddly enough, none of the children could ever remember afterwards what it was he did tell. Perhaps he used some magic to prevent their remembering. When he had done, the learned gentleman was silent, leaning on his elbow on the table, and his hand and his head on his hand. Dear Jimmy, said Anthea gently, don't worry about it. We are sure to find it today somehow. Yes, said Rekmara. And perhaps with it, death. It is to bring us our heart's desire, said Robert. Who knows, said the priest, what things undreamed of and infinitely desirable lie beyond the dark gates. Ah, don't, said Jane, almost whimpering. The learned gentleman raised his head suddenly. Why not, he suggested, go back into the past, at the moment when the amulet is unwatched, wish to be with it. And that, it shall, and that it shall be under your hand. It was the simplest thing in the world, and yet none of them had ever thought of it. Come, cried Rickmara, leaping up. Come now. May, may I come? The learned gentleman timidly asked. It's only a dream, you know. Come and welcome. Oh, bro oh brother, Rickmara was beginning. But Cyril and Robert, with one voice, cried, No! You weren't with us in Atlantis, Robert added or you'd know better than to let him come. Dear Jimmy, said Anthea, please don't ask to come. We'll go and be back again before you have time to know we're gone. And he too? We must keep together, said Rickmar, since there is but one perfect amulet to which I and these children have equal claims. Jane held up the amulet. Rickmar went first, and they all passed through the arch into which the amulet grew at the name of power. The learned gentleman saw through the arch a darkness lighted by smoky gleams. He rubbed his eyes, and he only rubbed them for ten seconds. The children and the priest were in a small, dark chamber. A square doorway of massive stone that a glee let in gleams of shifting light, and the sound of many voices chanting a slow, strange hymn. They all stood listening. Now and then the chant quickened and the light grew brighter, as though fuel had been thrown in the fire. Where are we? whispered Anthea. And when? whispered Robert. This is some shrine, near the beginnings of belief, said the Egyptian, shivering. Take the amulet and come away. It is cold here in the morning of the world. And then Jane felt that her hand was on a slab or a table of stone, and there under her hand, something that felt like the charm that had so long hung round her neck, only it was thicker, twice as thick. It's here, she said. I've got it. And she hardly knew the sound of her own voice. Come away, repeated Rickmire. I wish we could see more of this temple, said Robert, resistingly. Come away, the priest urged. There is death all about and strong magic. Listen. The chanting voices seemed to have grown louder and fiercer and light stronger. They're coming, cried Rekmara. Quick, quick, the amulet. Jane held it up. What a long time you've been rubbing your eyes, said Anthea. Don't you see we've got back? The learned gentleman only stared at her. Miss Anthea, Miss Jane. It was Nurse's voice, very much higher and squeaky and more exalted than usual. 
Oh, bother, said everyone. Cyril adding, You just go on with the dream for a sec, Mr. Jimmy, and we'll be back directly. Nurse will come up if we don't. She wouldn't think Rick Mara was a dream. Then they went down. Nurse was in the hall. An orange envelope in one hand and a pink paper in the other. Your pa and ma's come home. Reach London 11.15. Prepare rooms as directed in letter. And sign in their two names. Oh, hooray, 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 shouted the boys and Jane. But Anthea could not shout. She was nearer crying. Oh, she said almost in a whisper. Then it was true. And we have got our heart's desire. But... But I don't understand about the letter, Nurse was saying. I haven't had no letter. Oh, said Jane in a queer voice. I wonder whether it was one of those they came in that night, you know, when we were playing Devil in the Dark, and I, I put them in the hat stand drawer behind the clothes brushes, and she pulled out the drawer as she spoke, and here they are. There was a letter for Nurse, and one for the children. The letters told how Father had done being a war correspondent and was coming home and how Mother and the Lamb were going to meet him in Italy and all come home together, and how the Lamb and Mother were quite well, and how a telegram would be sent to tell the day and the hour of their homecoming. Mercy me, said the old nurse. I declare, if it's not too bad of you, Miss Jane, I shall have a nice to-do getting things straight for your ma and pa. Oh, never mind, nurse, said Jane, hugging her. Isn't it just too lovely for anything? We'll come and help you, said Cyril. There's just something upstairs we've got to settle up, and then we'll come along and help you. Get along with you, said the old nurse, but she laughed jollily. Nice help you'd be. I know you, and it's ten o'clock now. There was, in fact, something upstairs that they had to settle. Quite a considerable something, too, and it took much longer than they expected. A hasty rush into the boys' room secured the sandy, very sandy and very cross, it doesn't matter how cross and sandy it is, though, said Anthea. It ought to be there at the final council. It'll give the learned gentleman fits, I expect, said Robert, when he sees it. But it didn't. Dream is growing more and more wonderful, he exclaimed, when the Samian had been explained to him by Rekmaro. I have dreamed this beast before. Now, said Robert, Jane has got half the amulet, and I've got the whole. Show up, Jane. Jane untied the string and laid her half-amulet on the table littered with dusty papers and the clay cylinders marked all over, little marks like the little prints of birds' little feet. Robert laid down the whole amulet, and Anthea gently restrained the eager hand of the learned gentleman as it reached out yearningly towards the perfect specimen. Then, just as before, on the Marcella quilt, so now, on the dusty litter of paper and curiosities, the half-amulet quivered and shook, and then as steel is drawn to magnet, it was drawn across the dusty manuscripts nearer and nearer to the perfect amulet, warm from the pocket of Robert, and then as one drop of water mingles with another, when the panes of the window are wrinkled with rain, as one bead of mercury is drawn into another bead, the half amulet that was the children's, and was also Rekmaro's, slipped into the whole amulet, and behold, there was only one, the perfect an ultimate charm. And that's all right, said the Sammy, breaking a breathless silence. Yes, said Anthea, and we've got our heart's desire. Father and mother and the lamb are coming home today. But what about me, said Rekmara? What is your heart's desire, Anthea asked. 
great and deep learning, said the priest without a moment's hesitation. A learning greater and deeper than that of any man of my land and my time. But learning too great is useless. I go back to my own land and my own age. Who will believe my tales of what I have seen in the future? Let me stay here to be the great knower of all that has been in that our time so living to me, so old to you, about which your learned men speculate unceasingly and often, he tells me vainly. If I were you, said the Samian, I should ask the amulet about that. It's a dangerous thing trying to live in a time that's not your own. You can't breathe an air that's thousands of centuries ahead of your lungs without feeling the effects of it sooner or later. Prepare the mystic circle and consult the amulet. Oh, what a dream, cried the learned gentleman. Dear children, if you love me, and I think you do, in dreams and out of them, prepare the mystic circle and consult the amulet. They did, as once before, when the sun had shone in August splendor. They crouched in a circle on the floor. Now the air outside was thick and yellow with the fog that by some strange decree always attended the cattle show week. And in the street coasters, and in the street coasters were shouting, Er, Hikau, such a, Jane said, the name of power. And instantly the lights went out, and all the sounds went out too, so that there was a silence and a darkness, both deeper than any darkness or silence you have ever even dreamed of imagining. It was like being deaf or blind, only darker and quieter even than that. Then out of that vast darkness and silence came a light and a voice. The light was too faint to see anything by, and the voice was too small for you to hear what it said. But the light and the voice grew, and the light was the light that no man may look on and live, and the voice was the sweetest and most terrible voice in the world. The children cast down their eyes, and so did everyone. I speak, said the voice. What is it that you would hear? There was a pause. Everyone was afraid to speak. What are we to do about Rekmara? said Robert suddenly and abruptly. Shall he go back through the amulet to his own time, or... No one can pass through the amulet now, said the beautiful, terrible voice, to any land or any time. Only when it was imperfect could such things be. But men may pass through the perfect charm to the perfect union, which is not of time or space. Would you be so very kind, said Anthea tremulously, as to speak so that we can understand you? Sammy had said something about Rekmar not being able to live here, and if he can't get back... She stopped. Her heart was beating desperately in her throat, as it seemed. Nobody can continue to live in a land and in a time not appointed said the voice of glorious sweetness. But a soul may live if in that other time and land there be found a soul so akin to it as to offer it refuge in the body of that land and time, that thus they too may be one soul in one body. The children exchanged discouraged glances, but the eyes of Rekmara and the learned gentleman met and were kind to each other and promised each other many things, secret and sacred and very beautiful. Anthea saw the look 
Oh, but, she said, without at all meaning to say it, Dear Jimmy's soul, isn't it all like Rick Myers? I'm certain it isn't. I don't want to be rude, but it isn't, you know. Dear Jimmy's soul is as good as gold, and nothing that is not good can pass beneath the double arch of my perfect amulet, said the voice. If both are willing, say the word of power, and let the two souls become one forever and evermore. Shall I? asked Jane. Yes, yes. The voices were those of the Egyptian priest and the learned gentleman, and the voices were eager, alive, thrilled with hope and desire of great things. So Jane took the amulet from Robert and held it up between the two men and said for the last time the word of power. Er, Hakau, Sajan. The perfect amulet grew into a double arch. The two arches leaned to each other, making a great A. It stands for Amen, whispered Jane, what he was a priest of. Hush, breathed Endia. The great double arch glowed in and through the green light that had been there since the name of power had first been spoken. It glowed with a light more bright yet more soft than any other light, a glory and a splendor and sweetness unspeakable. Come, cried Rick Mara, holding out his hands. Come, cried the learned gentleman, and he also held out his hands. Each moved forward under the glowing and glorious arch of the perfect amulet. Then Rekmara quivered and shook, and as steel is drawn to magnet, he was drawn under the arch of magic, nearer and nearer to the learned gentleman, and as one drop of water mingles with another, when the window glass is rain-wrinkled, as one quicksilver bead is drawn to another quicksilver bead, Rekmara, divine father of the temple of Amun-Ra, was drawn into and slipped into, disappeared into, and was one with Jimmy, the good beloved learned gentleman. And suddenly, it was good daylight, and the December sun shone. The fog has passed away like a dream. The amulet was there, little and complete in Jane's hand. And there were the other children, and the Samuel, and the learned gentleman. But Rekmara, or the body of Rekmara, was not there any more. As for his soul. Oh, that horrid thing, cried Robert and put his foot on a centipede as long as your finger that crawled and wriggled and squirmed at the learned gentleman's feet. That, said the Samuel, was the evil in the soul of Rekmara. There was a deep silence. Then Rekmara's him now? Jane asked at last. All that was good in Rekmara, said Samuel. He ought to have his heart's desire too, said Anthea in a sort of stubbornness. His heart's desire, said the Samuel, is the perfect amulet you hold in your hand. Yes, it has been ever since he first saw the broken half of it. We've got ours, said Anthea softly. Yes, said the Samuel. His voice was crosser than they'd ever heard it. Your parents are coming home, and what's to become of me? I shall be found out and made a show of and degraded in every possible way. I know they'll make me go into Parliament, Hateful place, all mud and no sand. That beautiful Baalbek temple in the desert, plenty of good sand there and no politics. I wish I were there, safe in the past, that I do. I wish you were, 
said the learned gentleman absently, yet polite as ever. The Sammy had swelled itself up, turned its long snail's eyes in one last lingering look at Anthea, a loving look, she always said, and thought, and vanished. Well, said Anthea, after a silence, I suppose it's happy. The only thing it ever really did care for was sand. My dear children, said the learned gentleman, must have fallen asleep. I've had the most extraordinary dream. I hope it was a nice one, said Cyril, with courtesy. Yes, I feel a new man after it. Absolutely a new man. There was a ring at the front doorbell. The opening of the door. Voices. It's them, cried Robert. And a thrill ran through four hearts. Here, cried Anthea, snatching the amulet from Jane and pressing it into the hand of the learned gentleman. Here, it's yours, your very own, a present from us, because you're Rick Mara as well. I mean, because you're such a dear. She hugged him briefly, but fervently. And the four swept down the stairs to the hall, where a cabman was bringing in boxes, and where, disguised heavily in traveling cloaks and wraps, was their heart's desire, threefold, mother, father, and the lamb. Bless me, said the learned gentleman left alone. Bless me. What a treasure. The dear children. It must be their affection that has given me these luminous apricots. I seem to see so many things now. Things I never saw before. The dear children. The dear, dear children. The end. Read the next book. Read the next book. Read the next book. Read the next book. Read the next book.